0: Having served in over 750 monitorships, no one has more experience as an independent monitor than the team at Affiliated Monitors. For more information on how an independent monitor can help improve your company's ethics and compliance programs, visit this month's sponsor, Affiliated Monitors, at www.affiliatedmonitors.com. Establishing effective internal controls. Today I want to review how to use your risk assessment you have performed as a tool to provide a structured approach to establishing effective internal controls. After preparation of the risk assessment, the next step is to prioritize the listing of risks and which locations they are common to in your organization. This begins by mapping internal controls to risks and then assess whether the internal controls are sufficient to mitigate or indeed prevent those risks. To help with consistency in this evaluation process, it may be useful to assign a risk weight to each of the elements in the risk assessment. For example, a construction company might assign a higher risk to the presence of fixed movable assets where the company sells exclusively through local distributors, might assign a higher weight to the sales function than one that, uses, that exclusively uses company employees for sales activities. However, it is structured. The assessment should result in the assignment of individual risk scores and a composite risk score for each location. These scores can then be used to prioritize the location in terms of dealing with control risks. One of the bigger risks under the Foreign Corrupt Praxis Act and, indeed, compliance is sales conducted through third parties. If a company is moving into new geographic areas or new products and does not plan to use an internal sales team to facilitate these efforts, it presents a higher compliance risk. Certainly the uh, Securities and Exchange Commission FCPA enforcement action against Smith & Wesson was just such a situation where a newly emerging international sales operation was executed through third parties and the company failed to put internal controls in place to manage this risk. The compliance function should understand that the corporate or business unit controls over international business generally in addition to the necessary controls over agents reviewed as as inadequate. Some of the questions you might consider are the following. Is there a U.S.-based international sales manager who is responsible for growing the international business? What is the incentive compensation plan? How good are the segregation of duties? In other words, can the international business or the international sales manager unilaterally make high-risk decisions, or must a senior officer of the business unit or corporate corporation be a part of that approval process. Finally, in a point not to be forgotten or dismissed, how are these internal controls documented? And since I haven't said it throughout any of this one month, the Better Internal Controls podcast series yet, let me emphasize that the three most important concepts in compliance are document, document, document. What about a situation in opposite to the above scenario where your company's primary sales channel uses a U.S.-based sales force which only travels to locations outside the U.S. for temporary visits of generally short duration? This situation minimizes some compliance risk, retains some compliance risk, and shifts some other compliance risk to become higher. The minimized compliance risk could come from lessening On the reliance of third parties so that a company, at least in theory, would have more control over its own workforce than those employed outside your company. The retained risks are those risks associated with the gifts, travel, and entertainment. Approval of credit terms to customers, special pricing, special arrangements with customers, such as providing product samples, knowing who the ultimate customer is and where the goods are ultimately shipped, the use of freight forwarders and custom agents. Shifted risks are created if there is no physical location outside the U.S. because accounting must be done in the U.S. This means the compliance risks regarding the accounting function simply shifts to the United States accounting department where the transactions are processed and recorded and where financial statements are prepared. These identified risks need to be the subject of appropriate internal controls because it is well established that the issuance of a code of conduct or a compliance program, excuse me, compliance policy and training of policies requirements is good practice, but does not necessarily provide uh, assurance that companies will comply with the policies. What is needed are written procedures and work instructions in the native language of the respective employees that defines exactly what the procedures, what procedures are to be performed and how they to be evidenced. As difficult it is for U.S. employees to translate by themselves what this means, what it means to comply with policies, it may be significantly more different, difficult for employees outside the United States, not only due to language, but also due to traditional local business practices, cultures, and customs. You can utilize all or some of the COSO 2013 Internal Controls Framework, which created structures to design and assess the effectiveness of internal controls within the five COSO components. A companion document entitled Internal control over external reporting, financial reporting, a compendium of approaches and examples, cataloged possible structures uh, and approaches and examples in the context of internal controls over financial reporting. and could be useful for companies complying with compliance internal controls under the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act or, indeed, any other national regime, such as the U.K. Bribery Act, Sapin uh, 2 in France, the Brazilian Clean Companies Act, or others. COSO has also published an additional companion document illustrative tools for assessing effectiveness of a system of internal controls, which provides templates that may be used in support of assessment of internal controls and includes various scenarios which illustrate practical issues of how the templates can be used. Finally, consider a business unit in a geographic area in the Far East where there is a significant amount of deference to supervisors in the local culture such that even if an employee saw inappropriate behavior. It would not be expected the employee would make a report or even comment. Such situations can have a huge impact on your internal controls environment. So what are today's three key takeaways? Never forget that third-party risks are still your highest risks under the FCPA, so your internal controls should be uh, designed to appropriately help prevent this risk from becoming a violation. However, If your sales model is employee-based only, you have a completely different set of risks, and your internal controls uh, regime should reflect this separate set of risks. Number two, use mapping and a gap analysis to collate risks to existing internal controls. You need to map out what you have in place and see what your risks are, and that's the only way to see what the gaps are. And from there, it can help build a model or build a roadmap for you to – Elevate your internal controls and enhance them going forward. And finally, and while it seems self-evident from this podcast and several in this one-month series, always consider regional and geographic variances in business practices as they relate to internal controls. You may have the same internal controls, but your business practices may be different so that uh, the impact on the internal controls is different. You need to uh, take a look at that as part of your gap analysis. This is Tom Fox. I hope you've enjoyed day six of One Month to Better Internal Controls, and I hope you'll join me tomorrow for day seven. This is Tom Fox again. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of One Month to Better Internal Controls. If you've listened to this podcast on iTunes, I would greatly appreciate it if you would rate this podcast as it would help in our rankings. The word out about the only one-month podcast series, which enables you to design, implement, and enhance – a better compliance program. Also, if you have any questions, please feel free to contact me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. This is Tom Fox. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you'll join us again tomorrow. Once again, thanks to our sponsor, Affiliated Monitors, for sponsoring this month's series. This production of 31 Days to a More Effective Compliance Program is a special production of the Compliance Podcast Network. I hope you will join me again tomorrow. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.